At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, February 14th, 2024 edition of Invest Talk, the podcast that is about you and your financial future. It's about helping you make good decisions with your money, whether that's on the personal side or the investment side. We are here to help with all of it. We're going to give you broad, a broad overview of what's happening in markets and try to unpack what matters in the near term as well as the long term. And we're lucky to have Luke back with us to help me do that today. Thanks for being here, Luke. Thanks for having me as we mark the halfway point of February. Is it really? Yeah, I guess it is the half. Well, we're in a leap year. So does that count? I guess we're, we're noon tomorrow. Well, then I guess, I guess, I guess noon tomorrow is the halfway point of February. There we go. Sorry, I'm a stickler for the, for the numbers. Have to be right in this business. Well, uh, I'm Justin Klein with Luke, and we're here to answer your finance and investment questions. And you can make your calls right now. We're ready for them. Eight 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 ninety nine chart is the number. We're going to ru- we're going to unpack the market movements today and run down some show topics. But as usual, we're going to hit our first caller question now. Hi, my name is Ernie, and I'm calling from Lemoore Naval Base in Central California. And I'm calling about a ticker symbol, SQM. Uh, it's one of the largest lithium producers in the world, if not the largest. And uh, I want to know your thoughts on it and what's a good entry point. I already have a half a position in and love the show. Keep doing what you do. Thank you. All right. Looking at SQM. I'm not, can you pronounce that? Your last name's Guerrero. You should be able to do that. Mm, Filipino type of Guerrero, though. Ah, that's true. Um, yeah, this is a Chilean company. Uh, I'm not going to, uh, attempt at the name, but yeah, they are, their main operations is in lithium. They do have some potassium fertilizer production, some iodine and solar salt production as well, but most of their business is coming from selling lithium and it's refined in China, so they sell a lot of it into the Chinese market. We know that the Chinese market is now the largest producer of electric vehicles, so that certainly helps. But, Luke, their earnings, while they boomed in 2022, $13.68, that is reversing in a large way. Next, This year's earnings only supposed to be $3.45. It's odd to me, Luke. I've been saying this for over a year now, going on two-plus years. Lithium, and this was back when lithium was doing well in late 2022, and saying lithium is abundant. It's a it's a salt. It's not a great commodity to invest in because it's easy to bring on new supply. And you're seeing lithium prices 
really plumbed to, to new lows, and that's affecting uh, their earnings. So I don't know. It, it's down a lot. Worth it quite yet? And taking a look at its relative valuation, its price book is 2.2, uh, yeah. which isn't egregious for one of these miners. But like you said, I mean, another thing actually that brings me some pause uh, before we before we move forward is is their debt levels. I mean, they have $3 billion worth of debt on a less than $6 billion market cap company. Their profitability has been falling, as is their cash flow, pretty significantly over the past year. And because of that, you've seen a huge breakdown in their price. Even though their valuations seem reasonable given their fundamentals, I don't think right now is necessarily the time to buy in. They're set to make, based on estimates, less next year uh, than they will this year. I think what you said earlier about uh, the industry at large uh, is certainly playing out for this company and has played out over the past past couple of years. Yeah, and I just have to reiterate that. Lithium is one of the worst raw material investments that you can make. Just because it's being used more does not make it a good investment. There's supply and demand. And everyone focuses on demand. And yes, we're building more electric vehicles. Although, as we've talked recently, that demand is certainly slowing dramatically. And that's one of the reasons here, right? There, the, the industry has ramped up capacity to fill the need for, for lithium-ion batteries. But... That's the exact problem here, is that it's been so easy for them to ramp supply that any little drop in demand is going to tank the price of lithium. And when prices go up, it's easy for competitors to bring on new capacity. Therefore, those high prices are not going to stay high for very long. And so lithium, run! Run for the hills. This is not the place that you want to invest if you're trying to take advantage of the green revolution. Okay. And this is another name that is yielding 8.1%, but we know that that is, especially for a South American company, that's going to be very variable. And so you're not going to be reliant on that, that dividend either. So no, this is not a company you want to be getting into, especially with the trend in earnings and the trend of the chart, which is down, 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 and more down. Now, we have a lot of ground to cover over the next 40 minutes or so. Our main focus point is about American credit card debt reaching a record $1.13 trillion. So we're going to talk about some tried-and-true payoff strategies as well as talk about the broad credit card industry. And should this be a red flag that American credit card debt is at a record high? Uh, and how does that relate to budgeting 101 and your personal finance situation? In addition, we're going to touch on a few other topics. One is AI and how this relates to a piece of technology that I know Luke Luke loves. Luke is big into uh, using this technology every single day. He's very good at it. Uh, and so we are going to look at the parallel between AI and spreadsheets. Okay. We're also going to touch on the electric vehicle revolution, shall we say, and the fact that automakers are pulling back in a big, big way. And we're going to talk about why that is. And then lastly, what are the parallels between the AI hype and the telecom boom and bust of the late 90s and early 2000s? 
We also have some voice bank questions. One is on General Mills and the other on Skechers. But we're going to a short break right now. On the other side, we'll talk about today's market activity. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your question on the Talk voice bank. If you're listening via our live stream or on AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, you can call right now at 888-99-CHART. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. You get your take on Chewy. Ticker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on J.P. Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein. You know, I'm okay paying a fair price for a very good business. Steve Peasley. It's a very well-run company. And now Luke Guerrero. EBITDA growth is significantly higher than its competitors. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique and you set the agenda. I will. Hey, hi, Steve. I'm 24-7, rain or shine, InvestTalk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99-CHART. InvestTalk is here to help. And when you download the free InvestTalk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open, 888-99-CHART. Let's take a look at the market today, Luke. After yesterday's CPI number that brought the market down pretty dramatically, today was certainly a snapback day. And liquidity remains abundant. We are in OPEX week, so that tends to push markets higher if they are in an uptrend. So that continues there. Uh, What did you see that moved markets today on your end? Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, the market bounced off of yesterday's CPI-driven sell-off, which didn't really take away from the broader disinflation narrative that seemed kind of prevalent through Q4 earnings. So, you know, the fact that there wasn't a huge panic sell after small caps were down over 4% on Tuesday, they were up 2.5%. Certainly, it didn't completely retrench the ground that was lost on Tuesday. But generally, the focus still seems to be on the positives of the past couple of weeks, which is softening Fed language and a resilient growth backdrop that overall had some pretty stable 2024 consensus earning expectations. Yeah, it was it was interesting to not see a follow through. You know, everyone was focused on that CPI number. And I said on air yesterday, I said, CPI, it's lagging. What's most important is actually going to be PPI coming up on Friday, which is more of a leading indicator towards what CPI will bring in the coming months. Usually there's about a three to six month lag uh, between what the producer price index is and how that feeds into uh, the CPI. So you know, it's always important to look at these in context. A lot of times the headline number the the one that hits the the stories on Reuters or Bloomberg that is interesting but does it really tell you a whole lot about what the economy is doing today and going forward into the future and the reality is most of these big headline numbers uh don't aren't, aren't leading they're they're more either coincidental or lagging indicators and I would put CPI a little bit more in the lagging indicator uh camp 
So one other interesting thing that came up in the after the close actually was that unexpectedly uh, the Japanese economy contracted for a second consecutive quarter after a negative 3.3% uh, revised contraction uh, two quarters ago. It was down, I believe, 0.4% last quarter. So it's going to be interesting to see how markets digest that uh, when they wake up in the morning. Yeah, I guess that would mean the BOJ would be a little bit less hawkish going forward, right? So maybe strengthening dollar and weakening yen. That's probably the reaction, right? Yeah, that, that, that's that's what would be expected. But certainly it, it complicates the picture beyond what people originally thought was the, the status quo consensus. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we'll get more reaction tomorrow and then that CPI data on, on Friday. Tomorrow we have the existing, uh, or, or sorry, uh, initial jobless claims as well as the grave industrial production. And we also have the continuous, continuous uh, claims for unemployment. So that will all be uh, market moving to some degree, but Friday is the big day. Now let's pivot over to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a call that came in earlier on 888.99 chart. Oh, hey guys, this is Greg from New Orleans. I'm just calling to get your take on General Mills, ticker GIS. This would be a long-term hold, 10 plus years as part of a, of a passive income strategy. Do you think this is a good business to get into at this moment? And what would be a good entry point of sell? Any advice you can give me? Thanks. All right, looking at General Mills. And this has been in a pretty protracted downturn since May of last year when it peaked out around $90 per share. Now we're at $62 and change. And as you would imagine, that means it is in a continuous uh, downtrend making a series of lower highs and lower lows. Now, for everyone else out there, you think of General Mills as a company that makes cereal, and that's certainly true, but they have brands uh, across many, uh, brands in many pantries across the country. You're talking about Nature Valley, Cheerios, Old El Paso, YoPlay, Pillsbury, Betty Crocker, Hagen dazs Blue Buffalo, it's dog food, um, and, and, and very large packaged food company. The issue here, Luke, to me is that and we, we, we talked about this uh, a lot uh, yesterday, which is the amount of debt that these companies have. Is, and this is a lot about $13 billion in net debt uh, on a $35 billion market cap, free cash flow about 2 billion, which is okay, but not much growth here. In fact, last quarter revenue growth was down 2%. So the technicals are pretty poor, and I don't like that balance sheet. Uh, but you know, maybe it's cheap enough. The balance sheet is certainly striking. It's actually interesting that this question comes up given uh, what we talked about yesterday, you and me, concerning consumer staples. And there was pretty much the the downtrend in this company happened about the same time we started raising interest rates, mm-hmm. right? Or did yeah. you say two years ago or one year ago? Uh, one, well, I guess in the, in the in the midst of, of interest rates being risen, and which you'd expect for some consumer staples companies. But one good thing that I'm seeing here is they've bought back quite a few shares over the past couple of years. Yeah. Um, but I do agree with you until they get their balance sheet under control, although right now they're making eight times their interest uh, yeah. in, in earnings before interest in taxes. So it's not too alarming. Uh, without that, I wouldn't take too large a position. And certainly the Yeah, and their, their debt is rising. Um, right now. Uh, so about a billion dollar increase over the past year. So 
Uh, this is not a name I'd be jumping into right now. Now we're heading into a break. We're ready to take your calls at 888-99-SHARP. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. How they get there and when they get there, that depends on many variables. The more you learn about how the market works, the better your chances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Now our main focus point concerns this topic. Americans have $1.13 trillion in credit card debt. And there are different payoff strategies here. And the average balance per consumer is about $6,360. Both of those figures are a historical high. And we'll start off, Luke, with strategies to pay that down. And then we'll get into what this ultimately means for the broader economy. Now, I think the first way anyone can start the process of getting off of credit card debt is to do a zero balance transfer credit card. You can get 0% interest for year, year and a half, sometimes close to two years. Now, there's typically a balance transfer fee around 3%. Sometimes that got up to 4 or 5 uh, But you see so you have to look out for that. But after that, typically it does ramp up to the mid-20% range on average, which is very high, which means that you, if you're going to do this, you really have to take advantage of that 0% trial period and pay that down as quickly as as possible. And so that's certainly something you want to do. If you don't want to go through the hassle of a balance transfer, you can actually ask your credit card company for a lower interest rate. I didn't know this, Luke, 76% of people who asked for a lower interest rate on their credit card in the past year, they got one. So you have a three quarters chance of making that happen just by picking up the phone and asking nicely. It's pretty interesting, right? I've never heard something such as that. That's, uh, that is quite fascinating. I will say, I think the important thing here, though, is if you're going to take advantage of a tool such as a 0% balance transfer credit card, you do have to make sure that you fix the root of the problem, which is overspending beyond your means, because you don't want to say, hey, now I got two years to pay off all this debt that I've accrued, so I'm just going to spend some more. <laughs> so yeah. certainly this is just a tool that you can utilize to pay off credit card debt more quickly and with less interest, but you have to make sure that you use the tool for what it's intended to, which is just transferring your debt rather than freeing up your existing credit cards. Yeah, and you have to have a plan to be completely off uh, of the credit cards because so many people, they just carry balances for, I don't want to say no reason, but they just don't have a plan to, to get off of it. Um, and now number one, I would say is if you have credit card debt and you have taxable investments in a brokerage account, so many people do that. They, they rack, rack up credit card debt in order to invest in stocks or options or things like that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, remember, any amount you're paying off, you're basically guaranteeing yourself that return on that money uh, uh, of whatever your interest rate is on that particular card. So you need to have a strategy. And the first would be try to liquidate as much uh, taxable uh, money that you have in order to pay down those debts. But then you have to prioritize those repayments. And there are two real methods. 
One is the avalanche method, and the other is the snowball method. Now, the avalanche method is simple. You pick your, you rank your debts highest to lowest by interest rate. So which ones have the highest interest rate, which ones have the lowest, and you start by paying off the one that has the highest interest rate first, and then once that's done, you go to the next one, and so on, and the rest, you just pay the minimum. Now, that, from a numbers perspective, makes the most sense. But from a psychological, psychological perspective, oftentimes the snowball method is a bit better. It's saying, I'm going to rank them by smallest debt to the largest amount of debt. And meaning you pay off that smallest amount first, and the psychological effect of getting over that first hump of paying off one credit card or one loan and moving on to the next can be very helpful. So either strategy I think works depends on the person. Obviously, from an emotional perspective, snowball method helps. From a numbers perspective, the avalanche method typically helps the most. So, But whatever motivates you from getting off that debt, I think that's number one. Uh, now, Luke, let's pivot over to this big number, that $1.13 trillion. And that being at a record high, a lot of people use that as, I call it bear porn, that, hey, because so many people are in a lot of credit card debt, that the economy is going to hell in a handbasket tomorrow. Does that make any sense? Uh, uh, first and foremost, no, <laughs> because that $1.13 trillion is not a per capita basis. So it is yep. a big, scary number. Yep. Uh, it is also not in real terms. It is in nominal terms. So when you're comparing where you have gone, you should put it on comparable footing, meaning it should be per capita and it should be in real terms adjusted for inflation. Yeah, adjusted for I income, think the more, really, right? Yeah, that is. That's, I what, think, that's what it takes to pay off this debt is income. Exactly. But I think the most important part here is you can't just look at one segment of uh, the debt within the, the market and, and ignore what it is related to the overall debt picture. And so most of the debt is still low interest rate debt. Settled in car loans from pre-2020, you have mortgage. Mortgage interest is the largest makeup of most people's debt picture. So no, it's, it, it is a big, scary number. But as always, you have to dive in and get below below the top line and figure out what's going on. Exactly. And, uh, you know, could it be a problem in the future? Sure, at some point. But, uh, you know, as long as people have jobs, then they can sustain that debt. So from a big picture, it's not the end of the world to have this much debt. From um, in a macro micro level, for you personally, if you have debt, uh, credit card debt, that is a problem. And you need to have a plan to get off of it. All right, now we're heading into a break. Ready to take your calls right now at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin and Luke. First off, I just want to say, great job to Luke for flying solo last week. He did a great job. He's a natural. My question today is kind of a general question about the energy companies in general. I do own 
Diamondback Energy ticker symbol SANG, and they recently have a acquisition of Endeavor Energy. I also do own Exxon and Chevron in my portfolio, and I noticed that they're all acquiring smaller companies. So I just wanted to get your take on what you think is the, I guess, near term or even long term of how all this energy is going to play out. You know, you do have higher higher prices. You have the whole nuclear coming up. Wondering what your thoughts are on all the recent mergers and acquisitions and mainly signing back on them what they're doing. Thank you, please. Have a good day. First and foremost, thank you for the for the kind words. I really appreciate that. Um, actually, this is an interesting name because it's something that we own for clients. Uh, we've owned it for clients for for quite some time. But thinking of energy broadly, the theme over the past year from from large companies and even medium sized companies is consolidation. And in order to be competitive in any sector, you have to consolidate in a way, especially within within the oil sector or within the oil subsector of energy, that gives you access to a diversified asset base. Now, moving over the next five to 10 years is something that you've seen from larger companies, from Chevron, from, from Exxon, is more and more investment in renewable energies. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to shift their whole business to renewable energy, because fossil fuels are still going to have a place in the future. Justin has said it before on several occasions, and that is the reason why the economy moves the way it does is because of fossil fuel. Now, even though the policies right now are trying to shift us towards renewable fully, I don't see that happening. Justin, I don't know if you see that happening, but certainly companies like Diamondback that have the ability and the cash and the access to making deals like this to remain competitive within fossil fuels specifically, those are the types of companies you're going to want to hold. Yeah. And I, I echo all of that, that, that Luke. Um, and remember during the pandemic or uh, really the last couple of years, not sorry, not during the pandemic, the last couple of years, oil prices surged and a lot of these companies they made a ton of money. And what did that do? It allowed them to repair their balance sheets, pay down debt for many instances. Uh, and while a lot of those earnings have come down a bit from their 2022 highs, they're still well above uh, pre-pandemic levels. You know, Diamondback, for example, they're in $6.45 in 2019. This year, they're still supposed to make $18.21. So, you know, these businesses are still massively more profitable than they were before and they're cash rich and many of the smaller names still trade at pretty low valuations and that's why you're seeing these smaller names get bought out because their competitors are saying look at this name it's uh it has a free cash flow yield of 10 15 percent and this can be immediately accretive to earnings i only have to shell out you know a few billion dollars I can easily handle that because I have little to no debt, uh, or I have you know very robust cash flows, and I can pay for this in a short period of time. And so they, pay, they do they run the numbers, and it just makes a lot of sense. And so that's why you're seeing a lot of this consolidation. And so uh, that's why Diamondback is up on this news, uh, and I think you're going to continue to to see this uh, this trend. Now, on the next invest talk, we'll look into the story involving the two great myths of social security reform 
that story tomorrow. But for now, let's take a live call. Sammy in San Francisco looking at PayPal. Yeah, hi, Justin. Thanks for taking my call. Um, so PayPal just announced their earnings and the uh, stock has come down in the last few days. would like to get your thoughts on what would be a good entry point. Well, it did come down. The positive here is it didn't make a new low. It's last all-time low, or not it's all-time low, but 52-week low. It was around uh, $50 back in October. Now it's trading about 58 in change. So is attempting to make a higher low, and that would be a positive, a beginning of an uptrend. So technically, I do, I do see some improvements here. Uh, their outlook, though, for 2024 was pretty meager. Analysts expect earnings to only go up 1% this year, okay? And, you know, what type of multiple do you put on a company that's only growing its bottom line by 1%? Probably not a huge multiple, let's just say that. And right now it's trading in the low teens, right? 50, supposed to make around $5, it's trading near 60. So you're about a 12 multiple going forward. Luke, it's come down a lot. It's all-time high was... Back in late 2021, over $300 per share. It's definitely closer to reasonable value, but I think a lot of people see that and they say, oh, it's a bargain. I don't know if I see a bargain here quite yet. I see something that's about fairly valued. I do agree. And just because something is fairly valued doesn't mean you should buy it which is a crazy thing to think about. But, the, but what you said, which is so important, is that growth picture for PayPal. Mm-hmm. And something that is anecdotally indicative of them struggling for growth, I think, is when they came out and said they're going to have some massive announcement about artificial intelligence, and then it ended up being just some boilerplate tool within their platform, and, and it, the stock fell. So it seems to me like given the growth picture from a press release perspective, the company seems to try and be grasping at any part of this AI trend that they can to float their stock price. And, and, and I'm going to say it again for redundancy for the sake of clarity, just because something is fairly valued doesn't mean you should invest in it. And I think PayPal is one of those things. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think we're, we're getting close to that on PayPal. Um, but I want to see a discount and I want to see the technicals improve a bit more than they have now. Um, they have, made some improvement, but you saw that happen back in last summer when the stock moved above its 200-day moving average and started a, a tepid uptrend until earnings came out in early August and then the stock fell from $73 all the way down to 58 within less than a month. And you know, you've been flat since, and so that shows you that you're in this kind of final price discovery phase but i think it's a matter of can they turn their growth around if they're going to still meander here around five dollars per share in earnings it's 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 fair value they would need a meaningful acceleration to the upside in earnings for this to be uh a bargain uh and so still a name that's on the watch list uh not ready to fire quite yet Thanks for the call. Let's go to Jerry in Palo Alto. Let's talk about rebalancing. Well, not just rebalancing, but some of these high flyers, NVIDIA, uh, Amazon's done well lately, even uh, CrowdStrike. I've done really well. I 
at 3.30 on NVIDIA, I started to rebalance, and, you know, it's double since then. So what do you do with the, the high flyers that are just rolling? Uh, you you continue to find opportunities to rebalance. If you see large spikes in volume, for example, that can be an opportunity to rebalance. That can be a signal that uh, that uptrend is uh, peaking out, right? The, the capitulation to the upside, I call it. Um, so something to watch there. You can also have a tight out uh, for whatever shares you're holding. Maybe that's the 20-day moving average. That's a, that's a common one on uh, especially the high flyers. Uh, you know, near term this week, uh, I think you're, you're going to see some upside and maybe even into the end of the first quarter. Um, and a lot of this is liquidity-driven. The liquidity in the market remains strong. You see uh, what's happening kind of behind the scenes with Treasury and the Fed is that uh, they're not pulling liquidity out of the market. <laughs> I know they're keeping interest rates high, but you know the fact that the Treasury is issuing T-bills versus long-duration bonds, that is uh, another factor that is allowing liquidity to stay relatively robust. Um, but that will change at some point, uh, likely this year. And, you know, that would be a, a time where the, this trade, a lot of these these stocks would, would probably reverse because uh, many of them are, are very, very overvalued. Now, picking the top is impossible. You're never going to pick the top. Uh, but what you want to do is when you get an overbought situation, that's when you sell into it. You know, buy when there's sellers and sell when there's buyers. And so... You're going into option X. There could be a turn on the other side of this next week. Um, but this would be a week that you would want to think about rebalancing because the risk ne next week does pick up for a potential what we call gamma flip, where option dealers unload the underlying as opposed to right now, a lot of them are having to buy the underlying into OPEX. So that's kind of what's happening right now. Thanks for the call. All right, let's uh, let's touch a bit on spreadsheets, Luke. One of your favorite, one of your favorite pieces of technology. For a lot of people, it's boring. But back in the late '70s, early '80s, this was innovative technology. Well before you were even born, and so at the time, it was talked about as a huge breakthrough. And a lot of people thought that it would put accountants out of business because most of them did their calculations by hand. But in reality, there's far more accountants today than there were back then. And, you know, there's some parallels between that and AI where AI is threatening to displace a lot of people. But you think it will do that or do you think it just augments their ability to uh, do their jobs in a more efficient way. I think there's some parallels. I think there are some differences as well. <clears throat> when you look at the accounting example, what that tells you is not that the advent of spreadsheets eliminated an entire industry. What it did do is it removed some of the tedious work, which is the line-by-line -line entry. And in a way, what People think of AI isn't artificial intelligence in the classical sense. It's more just uh, pro tools that process, but not tools that learn. And the tools that process in the same way that spreadsheets helped with accounting are going to help with a lot of different jobs. I use 
AI tools uh, when I'm coding, for example. It saves a lot of time. Not because I don't know how to write it in coding language, but because the output is going to be a lot faster than my hands can type. So if you can use the tool to tell the tool what you need, it increases productivity. And so that's where the similarity lies in artificial intelligence, the way we think of it now, relative to spreadsheets. Where the difference exists is spreadsheets at a certain point had fulfilled their potential. And even, even today where you have visual basic application languages and whatnot, it still is in its core just a way to make the spreadsheet uh, be created faster and the models be pre-canned, right? Artificial intelligence at its core is supposed to move towards the generative general type. Yeah. And so that's kind of where the difference lies in that general artificial intelligence can replace some labor. Are we going to get there? Maybe. Is it going to be soon? Maybe. I don't know. But where we are now is more related to where they were then in terms of the tools that allow you to do your work better and do your work faster. And obviously spreadsheets are fairly limited in the industries it can help. Uh, whereas AI, it can almost augment tedious tasks in almost every industry, right? Uh, whether that's crunching numbers or it's coming up with ideas or writing things, uh, it can certainly be a, a great tool for that. So I think the, the broader application is, is certainly there. Uh, but the, I think the worry uh, about, about it in general has more to do with the ability to use it effectively and understand it, understand the output of it in context. It's like when you uh, use it to write code, you can take a look at that code and know where where it's kind of coming from, but you probably also have the ability to adjust that code uh, according to your needs and uh, according to your own um, thesis of how that code should, should be written. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of people that misuse spreadsheets that aren't accountants, you know, that uh, put a formula or create the formula in the wrong way because they put a parenthesis in the wrong place or they uh, type something in and the spreadsheet changed it to a date, for example. Um, and I think there's a lot of parallels there where it's like, okay, yes, you can use AI, but unless you understand really how the tool is coming up with that final answer, you are more apt to misuse it and uh, not and not really maximize its its full potential and create mistakes potentially, right? It's actually interesting. Those uh, Jim Harbaugh, the football coach, said that he uses Excel to take notes and to put pictures in, and for just about everything. So that's a, that's a prime example of sometimes these tools are created. I used ChatGPT to find out what I'm going to make my girlfriend for dinner tonight for for Valentine's Day. Is that what it was created for? No. Is it helpful? Yes. Has he heard of Word? Has he heard of Word? I, it's, it's in the start menu for his computer. I don't understand. But I guess, you know, he's a successful coach, so I guess it works. To each their own. 
Well, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein with Luke Guerrero, and we have one goal each and every weekday, and that's to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So if you are going to get your call in today, you need to do that right now at 888-99-CHART. No two portfolios are alike, and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, guys. I'm interested in buying Skechers, symbol SKX, as a long-term hold, and I'd like to get your guys' opinion on it. Thank you. All right, looking at Skechers, this is the shoe company, and... They make the shape ups, right? Uh, I think that helps you help you lose weight. Help? I, what did it? What does it do? I forget exactly. I, I know have they no have light up sneakers. Yeah, there's shape ups. I know the light up sneakers. Yeah, there Big you go. Big fan of light up sneakers. And historically, this is a very profitable business. Not an exciting business. Not a huge growth company, but its earnings and profitability is pretty consistent. Return on equity over the past, call it ten years. Average somewhere in the mid-teens right now, right around 13%. So uh, near a long-term average. Pretty much zero long-term net debt on its balance sheet. Trading at enterprise value to EBITDA around nine. And forward-looking around eight. Pretty cheap. No dividend yield, but they tend to take their cash flow and buy back shares. So that's a positive, Luke. And let's see, free cash flow, $865 million on a... Enterprise value of eight and a half. That's about a 10% free cash flow yield. That's pretty attractive in my mind. And the chart looks pretty solid as well. What are your thoughts? Frankly, I like it. You know, I think sometimes people don't want to invest in boring businesses, but oftentimes boring is better. This is a stable business. It's got consistent and increasing cash flows over the past five years. The profitability is stable. It's strong relative to the rest of the overall market, and it actually has more cash on hand at the end of last year than total debt it had. Yeah, well, I guess sli- slightly less cash on hand, but not that much. You know, I think I think this is a strong business. There's not a lot of short activity. There's not a lot of people that don't believe in it. There's no dividend, but maybe in the future there will be. But that isn't a reason not to invest in something just because there's no dividend because they're buying back shares, like you said. I think overall, I I, I like the business. The margins look good. I, I really have no problems with it. I think it's pretty fairly valued. Thumbs up on Skechers. Now let's talk a little about the EV market, Luke. Uh, spring 2022, Ford was rolling out the F-150 Lightning, and it's supposed to be this big thing. And uh, automakers really across the world were really ramping up their capacity to produce electric vehicles. And then... 2023 hit and it started pretty early with tesla announcing price cuts in mid-january of more than 20 percent and at the time musk insisted there was no demand problem the company was just trying to broaden the appeal to make the cars more affordable but in reality it was the start of a longer term trend or a large trend throughout the year where electric vehicle inventories on lots exploded 
And currently, they're still at very high levels. Days of inventory at U.S. automobile dealerships today, based on automobile types, electric cars are at about 70, about 80 days, about 80 days supply. This is total inventory divided by you know, number of sales per month. Gasoline engines, around 50 days supply. Hybrids, down around 30 days supply. So it's pretty clear that there is a huge demand problem in the electric vehicle industry. And this push towards electric vehicles that was driven by really could say Tesla, right? The fact that everyone's chasing those market cap gains in the stock, uh, but it's starting to weigh on not just Tesla, but these other automakers as well. Can they recover? And can the other EV makers withstand this weak demand problem? Well, I think another issue that you didn't even mention is the resale market. There's such a huge supply. Yeah. Some big news over the past couple months was car rental companies who didn't think it through and didn't realize that people who renting cars don't want to have to charge when they're on vacation. So that's yep. going to be an issue for these guys selling new electric vehicles as well. I think the bigger picture, the bigger problem is that people didn't think it through in terms of where these cars should fit into daily life. And the reality is most people are realizing they don't like spending a lot of the time at charging stations. And if you look at those uh, numbers, what are people buying? They're not buying EVs. They're not buying gas cars. They're buying hybrids. a lot of hybrids. I just bought a Go hybrid. Go figure. Yeah, um, because there's flexibility there. Plug-in hybrids are the way to go. That is the most effective, efficient way to make our car industry more green and more uh, more efficient. It's clear that actually the data and the the... Uh, engineering says so. <laughs> but, you know, everyone's chasing the shiny objects, which are EV makers, and it is a terrible business. And I think they're going to very much struggle along with the traditional makers, but at least the traditional makers, they can build uh, your your ICE engines and hybrids. And, and I think the uh, Teslas and Luces of the world are going to have a bad, bad year. Now, I'm Justin Klein with Luke Guerrero. This completes another Invest Talk program. We thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. And we are now surpassed 57.8 million downloads, all thanks to you. Independent thinking, shared success. This is InvestTalk. Good night. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.